0: Turn to God's Word this morning, Uh, we continue our walk through Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're going to be picking up in chapter 2, verse 12 this morning, it's printed there in your bulletin, or you can find that on page 981 of the Bibles in front of you there. And uh, Paul has just shown the church the great humility, humility, humiliation, and exaltation of the Lord Jesus. Um, If there's going to be any unity in the church, this is a major theme and focus for Paul in this letter, Uh, if there's going to be any shared passion, shared goals, uh, there must be humility uh, among the people of God. And that's only modeled, not only modeled, but enabled uh, by the humility and service of the Lord Jesus. Uh, And just just a little note here before we read, the first word that we're going to read is therefore. Uh, and any time you start, you read the word therefore, you need to ask a simple question uh, when we're reading our Bibles. And that is, what is the therefore Therefore, for? Uh, it always comes after in response uh, to what uh, came right before it. So uh, we're going to look at that uh, a little bit. Uh, the apostle is, is using the finished work of Jesus, the great truths of the gospel, uh, as the fuel, uh, the energy for obedience. Christ is the God-man. He is Lord uh, now live in light of this lordship. That's the therefore piece, in light of uh, his grace. And so verse 12 and following appears to pick up uh, what Paul had, had started in chapter 1, verse 27. Um, whether he's with the church, whether he's absent, uh, they need to give attention uh, as partakers of grace and citizens of God's kingdoms. Partakers already, citizens of heavenly kingdom already, That's really important uh, to understand as we look into this next section. So if you would stand with me for just a moment as we read chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. The apostle says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith i am glad and rejoice with you all likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me this is god's word let's pray together lord god we do thank you for the authority and the power of your word that you would show us your very character and your desire for us as your people through this word imprinted upon our hearts now we ask and make us attentive while we listen Give your servant strength um, in speaking, uh, that your word may be heard clearly, uh, and that our faith would continue to grow as we follow you in obedience. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. I received a text message from my dad this last week. Uh, He was at an open house breakfast sort of thing on, uh, on Monday, on Memorial Day, and he was with a good friend who was a little banged up. Uh, scratches on his face he had a big shiner I think on one of his on one of his eyes and uh, I come to find out that this friend someone I knew very well from growing up in that area uh, he had been giving airplane rides the previous weekend and uh, to a group of of middle school students so he had several students um, with him and the airport that they were flying at had a pretty short runway uh, there's big trees and road on one end and a four-lane highway on the other end, and so to clear those obstacles safely, that it, it made for a much smaller landing space. Uh, well, on one of his landings, um, just went right off the end of that runway, and uh, unfortunately, it was the last landing of the day um, uh, for him and for the rest of them, um, but very very competent, safe pilot, uh, ended up uh, uh, rolling off there, and, and now he has a great story to tell uh, with the rest of of those students um, and as, as the apostle continues this very personal very joy filled letter to the church uh, his language here of, of work both our work and God's work it, it really keeps the church on the runway um, it keeps us from the tendency to roll off one side or the other uh, you know in an airplane leaving the runway that's that's pretty rare Right, Reagan? That, that's a rare thing. It doesn't happen very often. But we leave the runway all the time. Um, with our attitudes, with our actions, um, we roll off the runway in one direction when we're pretty confident about ourselves. Um, you know, maybe we've got life in Christ and, and, and the, the disciplines of the Christian life pretty well figured out. I think things are kind of clicking and... And we're learning, and others may be learning from us. And so we get pretty confident. Say, this is, this is working out. Um, that's one side of the ditch. And then there's, there's the other end, which says, you know, I, I can't do anything right. Um, I'm completely overwhelmed by my own weakness, by my own sin, again. And we're just tempted to say, well, I give up. You know, Why even try? I'm just going to disappoint myself or be disappointed by, by someone else. Uh, I'm going to fail. And so that, that just overwhelms us. So I, I, uh, things are coming together. I'm, I'm doing it all right or I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do anything right. Uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Paul's words here addresses both scenarios. So we're going to ask several questions of this passage. The work of salvation, which is it? Is it our work or is it God's work? What does this work of salvation look like and then why go through it, Go through with it? So those three questions. Which is it? What does it look like? And why do it? So Paul continues his appeal to a church that he, he absolutely loves. I think we recognize the, the power of, of this, when when instructing others or taking instruction ourselves, we're much more likely to listen uh, to those that we know love us and care about us. So Paul's love and, and concern for the church is underneath all of these words. That's out of his love for them uh, that he wants them to grow. Uh, think how important that is versus a church family uh, within our own families. How important it is for others to know how much we we love them and care about them before any expression of of correction or concern in their lives or rebuke. We may desire unity in the church. We may pursue unity within the body of Christ. But if that is done apart from a relationship of trust and genuine concern, even in the normal times of life, then it's not going to go uh, very far. So, so Paul has built a trust with this church family that they have a very good reason uh, to listen uh, to him. So he says, obey, obey as much or more so in my absence as you would if I were present here in verse 12. Life and ministry goes on without the apostle. And it's not just stagnant. Okay, They are to grow in Christ, working out their salvation with as much intensity as As much discipline as before. Here's another important thought for us as we move into uh, this apparent contradiction of works. The work continues whether the elders are there or not. Ruling elder or teaching elder. our, Our teachers should be a great encouragement to us. They should be a great help to us in following the Lord as part of His church. But they are not essential for that work to continue. You know, the, the ministry of Trinity Fellowship Church continuing long before I came. It will continue long after I'm gone, which I praise is for a while. Um, so we need, we need to be, be careful lest we uh, get so attached to a, to a personality or, or a program in the church that our spiritual condition actually hinges on that. Um, our attachment is to Christ. It's His church. When all others leave, He is present. He is near and working Um, so that that moves us nicely into uh, what many view here as a contradiction who is working Uh, and then this is an answer we have a hard time with uh sometimes maybe more than sometimes because we are trained even with with the rise of of relative truth in our culture we're trained to think in terms of either or to do this way or it's that way and that, that's true for many things in life, but it's, uh, it's not true uh, for others uh, or decisions that we have to make. Are we, are we citizens of heaven or are we citizens of Arkansas or the United States? Well, the answer is not either or, it's both. Um, and that's what we have here. Um, it's a both answer in verses 12 and 13. What appears to be a contradiction is actually a beautiful cooperation between ourselves and And the working of God. Paul does not say work for your salvation with fear and trembling. The church is not earning salvation in any way. They are to work out uh, a salvation that is already there. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. It is His work. Uh, And the work of the church is a response to this gift. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. His whole instruction here hinges on the point that that they're Christians already, they're not trying to get there through their good efforts. God works first, He initiates, He has to for the dead to be made alive unto salvation. The work of the church, our works and deeds, is an outworking of what God already has already done and continues uh, to do in our lives. Um, so this fear and trembling that we read—not a fear of losing or gaining salvation—it's a, a submission, a reverence to God, uh, who has graciously come to us, done a mighty work in us. Listen to the state of the church. This is in Acts chapter nine. This is right after Paul is converted. The very guy writing. This letter. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. See, they weren't, they weren't fearful of Paul anymore. They were walking in, in the fear of the Lord, walking in humility before God. A reverent fear uh, that understands understands the seriousness of life in Christ the seriousness of what the church is called to in Christ a God-fearing people you know Christians used to be called that God-fearing people maybe they still are and I'm just not hearing it are you hearing it um, and it could be because that you know that phrase has fallen out of usage people don't know what that means or anymore or they haven't heard of that or it could mean that there just aren't as many God-fearing people in the church Those who take seriously the, the call to discipleship and to submit all of life to Christ. And you say, well, well, Brad, you know, Christians aren't exactly the life of the party uh, to begin with. Um, God-fearing? I mean, aren't, aren't we a little too serious here? You know, come on, lighten up a little bit, Mr. I-serious T.J., uh, that's not my personality type, but it's close. Um, God-fearing, it's not that we're, we're so serious we, we can't have fun and laugh. We, we don't take ourselves that seriously because we have an appropriate view of our own need and weakness. But holiness and lives before a holy God who says, be perfect as I am perfect, that should get our attention. That should, that should keep our attention. Uh, God-fearers are, are responding, they're working out the joy of their salvation. Uh, and, and that work is ongoing uh, for us and for uh, the Holy Spirit of God in us. Uh, so in a very real sense, our, our salvation has three, three aspects to it. The, the Christian has been saved already. The Christian is being saved now and will be saved. So we've been, we've been justified before God. We are being sanctified, growing, and we will be glorified. So it's that middle piece that Paul is uh, focusing on here. Our, our sanctification. Um, the ongoing work of God. Um, and it should be clear from this that it's not, it's not something we just sit back and, and let happen. We're not just going to absorb Holiness, passively. Um, We won't automatically make wise and godly decisions uh, without training, without practice. uh, Without life in the church. One commentator said it very simply, God works in that we might work out. God works in that we might work out. We bear the fruit of obedience, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. And here's, here's where we get some pushback in verse 13. You say, well, if God is working in me to, to will and to work, then what am I really doing? If this is His work, then why don't I, I, do to, don't I just sit back? Let Him do His thing in me. And again, this, this misses that answer, this both and part of it response to God. We're not not puppets on a string where God just moves us around despite of any will of our own. The Spirit of God energizes us. It it persuades us. Persuades our will and our desires so that our desire is then to act upon what He is working in us. A beautiful cooperation. We respond and move to the movement of and work of God in us. Um, so now we need to move on to the next question. But let, let me ask you this. Um, are, are you doing all that you can to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Again, no, no summer breaks, no retirement in this. Use the summer months to, to stimulate a heart for Jesus. Desire to grow. And that, that always starts by, by taking a good hard look at the time we give to such things. Uh, the time you have in, in your Bible, the time that you're in worship corporately and privately, the time you give to, to cultivating relationships uh, with others in the church are the same goal as you do uh, in working out their salvation. So we've answered that first question. Uh, which is it? Now what does working out salvation look like? Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Do you remember in the sixth grade or the tenth grade or yesterday when you found out that your good friend uh, had shared something or with someone else behind your back. And so that's why that person was avoiding you, not talking to you. Um, how did that make you feel? Tell you how it would make me feel. Now I'm upset with two people instead of one. Um, this is what murmuring and, and muttering under your breath. Talking behind the scenes does. Um, It just encourages us to to take sides, to go into that attack mode. Uh, It really feeds a a complaining and bitter spirit. Uh, We know this through our experience. Uh, And we read about grumbling and and murmuring and complaining. Is there anything else that comes to mind in the history of God's people? Um, Should. Think of the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness. Uh, Their wandering probably could have been a lot shorter if it weren't for this right here. Uh, Grumbling. I mean, they'd already been rescued. They already acknowledged their deliverer, but they didn't didn't trust Him. They doubted His love and grumbled and complained. Uh, So it's no wonder that Paul mentions this outright. Unity cannot happen. When those in the church are grumbling and bickering and not guarding their words. So you and I know that we get into trouble nine and a half times out of ten because of what we say, not because of what it is we do or don't do. It's all over the wisdom of the Proverbs. Here's a couple. Uh, Proverbs 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Uh, Next chapter, 11, verse 12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. And then to the church in Ephesus, uh, Paul writes, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So working out our salvation is working on what we say and how we say it and when we say it, if we say anything at all. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12 that the things that come out of of here, out of our mouths, tell us a lot about what's in here, in our hearts. So we need to speak with grace. um, Building up of others. Seeking forgiveness for those poorly timed uh, words. Um, Maybe you've seen that little acrostic. I keep one in my office. uh, If you want a visual. Um, It says, Before you... Uh, before you speak, think. It's got T-H-I-N-K. Is it true? Is it helpful? Uh, is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And realize not everything we say is going to fit every one of those uh, categories, but it's a good filter for how we use our words. Do we think? Is it true and helpful? Kind. Paul says that in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, we shine as lights in the world, holding out the word of life. Working out our salvation means guarding our words, but also means that, that we're going to stand out. And this working is more of a result of who we are as children of the living God. We're to be watchful and, and warning those in rebellion against God. And to do that means the church is going to stand out like stars on a crystal clear night sky. Um, our values, our desires, uh, they're in stark contrast to the values and desires and even codes of the world. So an interesting example of this, this last week, um, I read an article... Uh, I was on, I think it was last Sunday, Memorial Day, Nationals versus Giants, Major League Baseball. And uh, the, the Giants player, the Giants pitcher, uh, threw a pitch at one of the star players in the Nationals and just hit him right right in the side. 98 mile per hour fastball. It's got to smart. And uh, both sides acknowledged that it was intentional. He did this. And so this player in the Nationals, he gets off his helmet and he throws it and he charges the mound. And so, you know, like, like on the playground, these guys went at it, throwing punches, and the rest of the team uh, throws punches. And, and, uh, and here's what USA Today said after this was done, like later on that, that day. Um, you want to take down one of ours, and we're going to take down one of yours. It may sound like vigilante justice, but it happens to be the code of baseball. They can't let their franchise player get intentionally hit leaving him so incensed that he starts a brawl and do nothing in return. Baseball simply doesn't work that way. That, that breaks my heart, because I love to get a baseball. And to think that that's, that's the code of baseball. And what's interesting. Um, one of the players on the, the Giants, the guy who was catching that ball, um, he got up and he did not, uh, he did not enter into the brawl. Um, he just sort of stood there, and uh, and this isn't—I'm not trying to say anything about the faith of this particular catcher or what he was told, you know, before the game or anything like that. But he—he he can support his team, he can play a good game, but he didn't have to enter into the fray, the melee there in, in the center of the diamond. So I thought, well, that he's—he's—he's uh, he's living to a little different code. And he got a lot of attention for it. In fact, they thought he might get thrown at the next game because he didn't support the team. I thought, wow. Not living by the code of baseball. So for us, holding fast to the word of life, clinging to Christ and the truth of God's word, it's going to get attention. And it's not attention that we're, we're looking for or relishing in, but it's inevitable as we live as children of God. The Spirit of of God in us exposes the hidden works of darkness around us. Do others see it? Do they have a better sense of who Jesus is? What God values? By looking at us, are we just running right into the the mess with everybody else? Um, There's a good little article in the, the most recent By Faith magazine. We have several back there on the table. I encourage you to Pick those up. A lot of good things in there. Um, But there is one in there on uh, tattoos and what they are communicating. It's a fascinating article. Um, There's probably a few tattoos in this room. They're kind of like social media on the skin. Tattoos say so much about uh, about what folks are are thinking about what's in the heart. Uh, Our our beliefs and our, our ideology is just painted on our bodies. Um, so ask people about their tattoos if they're in a you know appropriately viewable place Um, it's a great window into their lives what's in their hearts maybe even a bridge to the gospel very likely so Uh, but in a very real sense that the humility and the grace of, of god a desire to to see jesus magnified as lord should be tattooed all over us not with ink Okay, I'm, not, I'm not encouraging you to stay in your bodies as a canvas, but in our demeanor, in our speech, uh, in our work, in our relationships. People see it. It stands out. Uh, shining as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Why, why do this? Um, Paul gives a, a couple of reasons here. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in our sanctification, in our working out of salvation that's given to us by God, we show forth the beauty of God. We show forth the purity of Christ. The words Paul uses here, they have in mind a, a metal that is, uh, that is absolutely pure. There, there's nothing mixed in with it, no other alloys So our obedience, our our pursuit of holiness should be unmixed so that it's outside of criticism. And one of the most common accusations against Christians is what? Well, they're hypocrites. They're they're two-faced. They're mixed in their motives and their purposes. Like this one day, like this another day. And so much of the time that's true. So it's only that the purity of Christ's sacrifice That we can pursue this. That we can pursue purity and blamelessness in the church. And it doesn't mean that we're without sin. In fact, it should be great motivation for us to confess our sin. That we are weak. That we are in need of help. To be be blameless means that there is nothing nothing worthy of blame or nothing worthy of of criticism. So when we confess and we're, we're genuine in our repentance... What we have said or what we have done—it's no longer a target for criticism. Uh, you know, others may still criticize their own, but but if we're repentant, innocent before God, through the righteousness and purity of Christ, that, that and then we don't need to be fearful. We're um, beyond criticism. That moves us into this this final point. The apostle loves his church. Uh, he's He's very proud of them. Um, make your spiritual father proud through your obedience. That's what he's trying to convey here. He's encouraged his life and, and labors are infused with joy and purpose as the church follows the Lord Jesus. Um, and we know by now in this letter that Paul's joy, it's not circumstantial. Uh, his joy is not in being successful according to the world's understanding of that his joys in fulfilling God's purpose and that's the same joy that he desires for the church so much so that he's willing to be poured out as a drink offering for the sake of the church he's being drained his spiritual labor is an offering to God but even more graphic if Paul is sentenced his very lifeblood may be poured out as an offering to God in the Old Testament You can use Numbers 4, verse 7, or Numbers 28, verse 7 as a reference. Strong drink was poured out along with the sacrifice. These daily offerings. And so the the sacrificial offering then is the faith and the work of the church. So Paul is more than willing to be spent, to be used up so that the church can be useful in their service and love for one another. So the work of salvation, which is it? It's both. It's God's working in us that we might respond in obedience. What does it look like? It's guarding our words. It's watchful, warns us, warns others uh, in danger. Um, And why go through with it? That we might be blameless before God. uh, Before God and men. uh, Enjoying that great cloud of witnesses uh, to His saving grace. He was the Lord Jesus who was the true and, and perfect Israelite. He didn't murmur. He didn't complain in the wilderness of his humanity. He prayed. He prayed for another way. His spirit was in anguish, but he submitted completely to the will of God. His lifeblood poured out so that we might offer to God a pleasing sacrifice of our own obedience, of our own worship. So it keeps us on the runway. If you're feeling overwhelmed defeated by sin and remember that the spirit of god continues his work in you like we remember it when the spirit came with power so long ago at pentecost it's at work in you he's working obedience in you you can be assured of this and and find renewed courage in the face of sin and if you're thinking you know I, i'm not doing all that bad then remember with humility that it is god works in you, that we have no strength in and of ourselves to walk with humility, to walk blamelessly. It's the joy of the Lord, the one who secures our adoption as children of God, that is our very strength. So let's pray as the Lord works this deeper uh, through the sacrament. Lord, we do thank you for this word, that only in the purity of Christ's sacrifice can we come before you. Can we pursue purity, blamelessness? You, O oh God, are perfect and you have called us to follow you in perfection. And we do this only in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us, that you work in us, that you love us. Uh, and as we go to uh, your table now, um, we look forward to your continuing feeding of us through the power of your Spirit. It's in His, uh, Jesus' name that we pray, amen.